Good, I wouldn't have known. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our ongoing journey, Long Timer Share Workshop. My name is Camille. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. Uh, This session is being taped. Anyone wishing to share will be required to sign the speaker release form before sharing, which is up here, and uh, I'll have it available for you. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It basket, which is this, will be circulated for the question and answer portion of the session. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by uh, the tapes table to order copies of this session or any other session. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. So the format of the session is as follows. Our three speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by 10 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 10 minutes of open pitches. The topic for our session, again, is our ongoing journey, long-timers share, and I'll tell you the order of speakers. Our first speaker will be Barbara, our second is Dave B., and our third speaker is Kathy L., So I will be the timer for both our speakers and uh, for the pitch later. So um, let me just, I'm going to grab myself a place to sit. Okay. Instead, Dave is going to go first. (laughs) Okay. So I'll have the timer. Would you like me to just go ahead and time you for the full 20 minutes, or would you like uh, six? When five minutes are left? Sure. Okay. I'll do that. You're welcome. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave. I'm a compulsive overeater. I said to speak into the mic. Uh, I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I've got. So that's all I'm going to do. So I was born August this August. Yeah. May the 22nd, 1944. I'm a little sleep deprived. So, And uh, my name was Robert Lee Henderson. Uh, my father's name was William Henderson, and he was in the Navy, and he had a girl in every port. And I was the second child born out of wedlock to uh, Mamie Alexio and uh, William Henderson. So they, uh, the, my I think it was. I think I had a sister, older sister, and they kept her, and I was the second mistake. So they put me up for adoption. You know. So uh, down the road in the program, I heard the word abandonment, and I my ears perked up years ago, and I go, you know, that's what that that's that gut feeling I have all the time. You know. And I've talked to a lot of adopted children since then, and uh, we relate. You know. And so. Uh, when my mother adopted me, and I would uh, feel sorry for myself, uh, she she was my mother was wonderful, 
and uh, she was very overprotective of me because she knew I was an adopted child, felt sorry for me, I needed special care. So uh, she sent me down with uh, a box of graham crackers and a big glass of milk, you know. So, And so then, then the, the next thing would happen was, you ate half a box of those things. That's gluttony. So a little mixed message there. Small mixed message. There. So... <laughs> Uh, uh, my the, my parents fought all the time about money, like a lot of people do, you know. And uh, they were uh, depression-era parents, so they worried about money. And uh, and and they and you know, my mother would buy something, and if I what the hell did you buy that for, Dorothy? We don't need that. And so I grew, you know, I grew up a lot like my pop, and a lot like my mom, you know. And uh, so when I, you know, so. Uh, Food was always a solution to the problems, and and uh, you know, like my sponsor said, uh, Dave. You, <clears throat> years ago, he said, uh, Dave, you wouldn't know a feeling if it hit it hit you in the windshield, you know. And I said, What does that mean? And I, I didn't. I I absolutely didn't know, you know. And years ago, we had more. There wasn't hardly any men in the program, so you, if you were a man, you got to learn a lot from women. And women would say, Well, how do you feel, Dave? I said, I don't know. I just feel bad, you know. And they'd say, well, Dave, bad is not a feeling. Can you be a little more vague, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I had to look up what the word vague meant, you know? And so, because I didn't read because I was, my mantra was, you know, we all have affirmations. Mine was, I'm just fat, dumb, stupid, and ugly. Ha, ha, ha. And a big fat guy laugh, laugh it off, you know? And, and uh, my nickname was Porky. And I would say, well, at the price of pork, that's a compliment, you know? So I made fun of myself all the time to cover up the pain, you know? And one day after several candy bars out of the vending machine and, and uh, drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper or Diet Root Bear, whatever it was, it, something hurt, you know. And that was the, the beginning of, uh, of, of the journey to Overeaters Anonymous. So, yeah, But my experience led me through pills and shots. You know, somebody, my, I worked for this guy. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to lose weight. He was a big guy, too. Big guys always tell their big guys they need to lose weight. I don't know why, you know. What you need is a, you know, Dr. Phil. Anyway, uh, so uh, he sent me to Dr. Stanley Z. Gilbert in Azusa, and I had to go because I worked for the guy, and he stood in line, and, and this was back in the 60s, and you got a shot and some little pills, you know, and you go back the next week, and I say, well, you know, they worked pretty good a couple of weeks, but now I'm getting hungry, so we'll take another two pills at each, you know, and it was three pills and then six pills, and then pretty soon, you know, that was Stelazine or Thorazine. That was, a, you know. I was awake all, all, I have trouble sleeping enough now, but I was awake for five days or something, you know, and I ran a car off the road, you know, fell asleep and ran, and, uh, you know, and then I, I felt terrible about that, but somebody later on says, God, you were addicted to that crap, you know, but, you know, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to be thin, you know, and, uh, and I lost all kinds of weight. I came down to see my mother in San Diego. She says, what did you, how did you lose all that weight, Sonny? I said, well, I take these little pills. She says, you know, they're not good for you, and, you know. Now, your mother's always right, but I didn't like hearing that. So we're not being very supportive. You know, she was, you know. So that was my journey here. And then finally going to Dr. Marijanian at Kaiser Permanente when I heard about the stomach bypass surgery, the wonderful stomach bypass, uh, the easier, softer way. You know, they just do all that plumbing or change the plumbing, whatever they do. I'm not a medical person. And that's what I want. I pay $60 a month for my Kaiser insurance. I want that. She says, you're not sick enough. In those days, you had to be sick, you know. And so she said, why don't you try this diet, you know. 
It was a very good. It was it was a very good food plan, you know, diet, whatever you call it. And I went on it, lost weight, I, and I came back and I said, you know, I'm just starting to get hard. I need to see you more often. You know, she says, well, you just need to use a little willpower. You know, this was a very thin woman with a clinical smile. You know, <laughs> like that. And and it was a very nice lady. And she says, why don't you treat? She says, what you probably? I says, you know, what's wrong with me is I'm crazy. I hit I hit it there. You know. With food, I'm nuts. I think about food all the time, you know. I eat all the time. There's something wrong with me. She says, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with you, Dave. I think you probably might want to try one of these self-help groups, you know. She says, I know of two, Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous. And I said, what's the difference? She says, well, Weight Watchers, I don't know much about it, she said. Weight Watchers cost money and Overeaters Anonymous doesn't. (laughs) Guess where I came (laughs) with my depression era thinking, so... Uh, so I ended up here. That, so that's my. That's how I got here. Uh, over 300 pounds, and uh, and the, the, I called a lady up uh, on the phone. I, 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 to this day, I don't know who answered the phone at OA, but but they were a lifesaver because they were very gracious and wonderful and understanding. And I was very belligerent because I didn't want to come here. That's the last place I wanted to come was over here. Just not as being a man, it's supposed to be a man's supposed to be able to take care of himself, you know. And so. Uh, I said, well, where's the meeting at? And I lived in El Cajon, California. And she said, well, it's over at, uh, the, well, there's a meeting down at, uh, at Ken- Kensington Community Church down in San Diego. I said, well, I live in El Cajon, you know. That's 16 miles. Yeah. She says, oh, well, you live in El Cajon? Well, there's one over at Second and Pepper. I said, well, that's clear across the valley, you know. And so, uh, you know, that was my, you know. And so I went to the meeting, and there was a lady there. Uh, well, there were thin people there, you know, and it didn't make any sense to me, you know. And uh, there was a lady leading the meeting named Ida, and she was very, very thin lady. And and then then they passed a picture around of this woman, and I turned it around and said, 322 pounds, very big woman, you know. And I and I, I very rudely, anybody that knew me 30 years ago knew how rude I was. And uh, they said, uh, I said, why are you showing me a picture of this fat woman? She said, that's the speaker. I went everywhere with Ida. I wanted, I wanted what she had, you know. I wanted to lose weight and get the hell out of here, you know. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not unique, you know. And uh, luckily, I stayed around. A lady named Susan T came to the meeting and she smoked uh, cool cigarettes. We smoked cigarettes in those. That's how long it's been, yeah. And night, and uh, she said, uh, "Sweetie," she was a beautiful Southern accent. She said, "Sweetie." Why don't you come down to the Kensington meeting? You know, I said, well, I don't like this meeting. They keep trying to get me to go to step studies and things like that. You know, I'm already on the food plan. Why do I need a step study and all this? You know, and we, my sponsor Helen and I called you people that read the big book back then, the God Squad, because you talked about God. You know, and I knew, you know, my concept of God was, I fell out of God's grace years ago. You know, after all, I did terrible things. I thought, and I. You know, I, I was you know I was a mistake in the first place. I believe that you know, and uh, that's what you believe. You know, tell somebody. And and people like you straightened me out. Took me along, took me aside and said, Dave, you got to watch your affirmations. You know, you got to quit telling it, saying those things about yourself. So what are you talking about? You know. So uh, I, I learned a lot from people in here, and they and they carried me through. And uh, so uh, my strength is. As people took me to uh, 
it carried me along. I got sponsors. Somebody said, you know, you're a man. Maybe you should get a man sponsor. Well, men are very threatening to me, like a lot of men are in the program. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't. Number one, I I couldn't call myself a man. I, I spent about seventeen hundred dollars to go to a, one of these self-help seminars. It was very good, you know. And you had to get to get out of the second step of it. You had to write your own affirmation, you know. And so I wrote, I'm a, I, I accept myself as a valuable person. And everybody in the room went, oh. And the a moderator says, we don't like the last word, you know. And finally, the, it got down to this lady, uh, Ernestine Fisher, her name was, she said. There was a moderator. She says, are you a man or a woman? And I said, well, I'm a person, you know. And, and thank you. And she said, uh, no, I want... One of the two, I'm, you know, and I said, well, I'm a m m man, you know. That's how bad it, it was for me to see my, uh, So I, I attributed a lot of my, my inventory uh, late in, in the 90s or, or middle 90s. I ran across something that's not at all related to the program, but it's related to my recovery, and that's male initiation, you know. And I'm really, look, I look at myself now because I discovered I'm a weak male like a lot of men, you know. I didn't have a regular male initiation. My father was busy all the time, and, and I, when I was so angry at him, and I asked him, I said, why didn't you ever take me to the ball game? Why didn't you ever do these things with me? You wouldn't let me go in your workshop or anything like that. Other men had to teach me things. And he said, well, I, I didn't have a father, and I didn't know how to be a father, son. You know? And when I wrote about that, and a lot of people said, well, I don't, you don't blame it on your parents. Well, I don't blame it on my parents, but I have to understand where I got these patterns at of behavior. And so it was very helpful. I mean, I, and I, the beautiful thing about the inventory work, the spirituality, is I got to forgive my father in this program because somebody, a sponsor, worked with me. Actually, sit down while I wrote. I couldn't write by myself. Like this guy that sponsored me would sit down while I wrote, and he'd do something else, you know. And then he'd read what I wrote, and he'd say, "I like that, but write about why you think there's something wrong with you. You've got this in every paragraph." I didn't see that, but he did. So I became transparent with him, you know. So. My adventure was to uh, assignment was to go talk to my father's brother and aunts and people like that, you know, find out what you know. And my uncle used to say, "I don't know why the hell you even go up to see your father. He hated my father, you know." And uh, and he talked about how he treated him, you know. So I, and I, my dad says, "Well, I didn't know what to do with. It. I had to raise Leland and, and and your aunt Millie because I was the oldest son, you know. So he beat on him." You know, to straighten them out. You know, so maybe that's why Aunt Billy became an alcoholic. I don't know. You tell me. But uh, you know, and and so that runs in my family. You know, and uh, so, but when I, but when my father, before my father passed, we we made peace with each other. You know, and through some outside work, I found out that I needed to reach out to my father. That he wasn't capable of doing that, and I was because of the program. And so uh, I, to I told my father one day, I waited till he got in the car and had the door closed. And I had a friend in the program come over because I was so afraid to tell him that I loved him, you know. And I waited till he got in the car and he had his little hat on and everything. And, I and he had cancer, so he weighed about 130 pounds, you know. And he lost a lot of weight. And I, <clears throat> I said, well, Dad, thanks for coming over. I love you. And he looked up at me and he said, son, I love you. I've always loved you more than you think I do. That was a powerful thing. We put the ball in my court, you know, so our relationship. So I think what's beautiful about the inventory work and the forgiveness that happens for us is that 
when our parents go, we don't have regrets that we did. I've talked to a lot of people who said, gee, I wish I would have told my dad I loved him or made peace with my mother or father. That's a beautiful thing about the program. That's the strength, you know. So, um, and, you know, all the retreats I've been to, you know, I was asked to be on the retreat committee. And I couldn't understand how anybody would at that time would invite me to be on the retreat committee. I mean, the way you grow in this program is by doing service that you don't want to do or feel you're qualified to do. <laughs> so why the hell would anybody want me? I mean, those people are really smart. They, 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 they register people and the whole thing. And they, <laughs> this guy, Mike, was the, was the register, and he, and he was a big guy, and I'd lost all my weight, and he'd follow me around. And, and he was a school teacher. He was an educated guy. I was a mechanic. I had grease on my fingernails, you know. And he was a school teacher and, a, and, a, all, and a, all kinds of stuff, you know. And had all kinds of degrees and everything. And he, 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 he says, I want what you have. He would cry, you know. Remember Mike? Yeah. He was a wonderful guy. And, he, and, uh, and I'd say, well, God, you know, you're a teacher. You know all about this. Said, you don't understand. I didn't understand what the gift that I'd been given. I'd been given a gift, you know. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, he said, someday you'll be the register of the retreat. I said, I, I, I could never do that. You know, that's for people that are smart. I was a regist- I registered at the retreat for years, you know. And then a guy named Jack Z, he said, have you been to an intergroup meeting? And I go, no, what's that? He says, well, meet me over here. I went to the intergroup meeting. He said, what do you think about that? So enough to make you want to eat. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I... And Jack said, and Jack said to me, quote unquote, someday you'll be the chairperson of the intergroup, Dave. I said, yeah, that, that'll never happen. So that's somebody that knows all that Robert's Rules of Order stuff and is real smart, you know. Guess what? I was the chairperson of the intergroup, you know. And and I I think I've served on just about every position on the intergroup because the people that are on that serve on these on these intergroups are great people. You know, they've stepped out a little further than some of us, you know. And uh, I wanted what they had, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of education from them, and a lot of spirituality from them. And uh, my life has has unfolded. And then uh, my hope is uh, that uh, what I learned in here, and I continue to learn in here because I, I went. When I was suicidal about three years in the program. Lost all my weight, and you know things didn't. I still got gas and electric bill. I was, that wasn't supposed to happen, you know. I lost all my weight. Everything's supposed to be a lot better, you know. And you know I got divorced, and I, I had to pay money, and I, oh my God, I had to forgive my ex-wife and all this kind of stuff, and uh, I, I lived with two other men, people I didn't know. Because I got kicked out of my house, you know, it was, and I, you know, it's like I thought that was terrible. I look back on it was the best time of my life because there was no oasis then, and there was always somebody over there. My sponsor was an AA, and he says, "Hey, we got to have these people over here. Somebody they need to sleep on the couch. You know, they're having trouble. You know, we need to sit down and talk to them and, and listen to them. You know, so we're we're going to let them in our house. We never let anybody in our house. You know, we had a, we. It was wonderful. You know, it was like a, there was somebody there all the time. You know." Anyway, uh, so what I learned, I finally went to get some counseling, but my grandiosity wouldn't let me go there, so I had to wait till I was almost didn't want to live anymore. 
And uh, and I, I I went to Dr. Woods at Kaiser, and he listened to me for uh, thank you for six months. And I said, well, you know, I still feel terrible. He says, well, what self-help book did you read that that you think six months you're going to feel better, and everything's going to be rosy, you know? And I said, well, you haven't told me what's wrong with me, you know. I was a little pissed off at him, you know. And he said, well, it's not my job; it's your job to figure that out. So he said, the one thing I do see is that. You think you're supposed to be happy all the time. Where did I learn that from? You know, and and that you, that you only focus on a very narrow lens. You only see what you want to see. You know, so you need to open the lens up. And he said, you don't see, you don't look at how far you've come. That's still a, that's still a challenge. So all those things are challenges for me. My affirmation's the same. So, uh, and I think. What I learned most of all was life is a continuous cycle of pain, growth, and joy. And I'll end by saying, my wife passed away after 28 years of marriage. This is what happened. This is my experience, strength and hope, last October. And uh, and I and I told God, okay, God, I'm going to just live here with my bulldog until I'm a 70-year-old man, until I crap out. And if he craps out before I do, I'll get another dog because... Nobody in, I mean, no woman's going to want some old 70-year-old man, you know, to hang out with, you know. Well, just to keep it short, uh, I've known this lady for 30 years in the program. We've always admired each other and teased each other. I thought we were teasing each other. I thought she, I always thought she was beautiful. She was always sweet to me. and, And she came up to me after my wife passed away and said, we used to say to each other, I always to say to her, I said, one of these days in the next life, we're going to have a hot, steamy romance. And she'd say, Dave, you're married. And I said, and so are you. And we'd laugh and go our separate ways. This, was, this went on for years, you know. And so after my wife passed away sometime later, she came up to me and said, you know, you're not married anymore, Dave. And I said, yeah, but you are. She says, no, I'm not. I've been divorced for seven years. And uh, she says, and I'm taking you out on a test date. <laughs> What the hell's a test date, you know? Of course, I'm I'm still full of grief, so I'm out in the parking lot after she took me to a chick movie, crying my eyes out. She says, "Oh, that's so wonderful." I said, oh yeah, that's really wonderful. Yeah. But I'll tell you, God played a trick on me. He has a hell of a sense of humor. So, so I'm abstinent today by only one thing: the grace of God, and all the glory goes to God. And uh, uh, that's what I wanted to say. And, uh, and and grace is a free, unmerited, unwarranted gift. I didn't have to. I I thought I had to work my ass off in this program. I don't. I need to surrender. I need to let go and let God work through me. So I appreciate you listening to a man that hasn't had a lot of sleep. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody, I'm Barbara. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And I promised somebody a little while ago that I would announce that they're selling raffle tickets. These two ladies over here. So find you're welcome. Find them afterward, okay? Okay. Um, you know what I always do? I always write notes because I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about my life, but I'm sure I'm not going to remember what I need to say. <laughs> 
And then I get up here, and I can't see them anyhow because there isn't the right light because I'm getting old. <laughs> you know? So there they are. Okay. Um, so I came into Overeaters Anonymous in September of 1980. September of 1983. Just go like this if you can't hear me, okay? Oh, thank you. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in September of 1983 um, because I had rented um, a wedding dress. I'm going to tell you his life pretty soon. Because uh, <laughs> I had rented a wedding dress because I couldn't afford to, to buy one. And uh, my friend, I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because I couldn't get the buttons buttoned. I took out the darts. It still didn't work. And my friend said, well, why don't you try Overeaters Anonymous? I said, well, okay, you know. And so I went in, and I all I know is I was nervous going there. I don't, I didn't know much about it at all, but I just knew there was something in my gut that was going like this. And I went in, and I cried my way through the first meeting. And then I thought, well, this is good. You know, 12 steps, 12 weeks, I'm out of here. <laughs> that was 1983. So, But if you'd have told me then that I'd still be here now, I'd have told you you were crazy. There's no way. I didn't really need this, you know. So for five years, I kept on going to meetings because I knew there was something something really true. You know how when something is true, it kind of goes woo, you know, inside of you? Well, there was a lot of woo going on in OA for me. And I didn't get a sponsor, and I didn't work the steps, and I never t- called anybody, and I didn't want to be anybody's friend. And I did some reading, because that was safe. I could read. And I would do some writing, but I just did it my way. You know, I did the barber program. And you can imagine how well it worked, okay? Because I always knew my, my problem was sugar, always. I grew up in Pennsylvania. We would have sugar for breakfast, lunch, after school, dinner, and before bed. You know, it was, part, it was a religion. You know, that's just the way it was. And we had alcoholics on one side and diabetics on the other side. You know, <laughs> go figure, you know. So, um, and it used to be I was sure that I could not go 20 hours without sugar, let alone the 26 years that I've been without now. It's, it's a total miracle. And um, so f- at five years, I would, I would go, okay, no sugar right now. And then I would, I would just white knuckle it for like six months, you know. And then I would go back to Pennsylvania and I would visit my family back to the scene of the original crime, you know, where I knew where the bread box was and the freezer was and the cookie jar was. And and all the people who still thought I was 25 years old, which is how old I was when I came out here. And so that I started acting, you know, like, like this goofy 25-year-old who was drinking and acting strange and overeating. And, uh, and so then I would start eating sugar again. And the next six months, I would eat sugar like, like a crazy woman. And then I'd go, okay, i got to stop this. You know, five years. You know, and it has nothing to do with being smart because, you know, I'm an intelligent woman. You would think I would put this together. You know, no sugar six months, back to Pennsylvania, back to being a kid, sugar, sugar, sugar six months. Okay, I got to stop. You know, and then finally I thought, okay, maybe I need to start taking direction, maybe. And so I found a sponsor and I did the first three steps and I was on my way to a fourth step workshop. And I thought, you know, I really have to write down what I need to abstain from 
because it used to be, well, I'm going to abstain from this, and then I would want one, and I would go, oh, I didn't quite mean that. I meant like from one or two, but if I have half, it's okay. You know, because I was very sneaky. You know, I'm an addict. You know, addicts are sneaky. When you're messing with my drug, I'm going to get sneaky on you. It's just the way it is, you know. Um, and so I finally wrote it down in the parking lot of the place where the workshop was, and I went in, and that was September 9th, 1988. And I had decided that I needed to stop drinking because every time I drank when I was trying not to eat sugar, it would, it would just bring out the rebel, and it would be like, screw you if you don't like me fat. I'm going to eat what I want. And I thought, maybe till I get this sugar thing down, I just won't drink because it seems like sabotage. You know, and so six months later, now I went to my high school reunion and I hadn't seen these people in 25 years and, and I was scared to death and, and I got through it without drinking and without eating sugar. And then it was Thanksgiving and then it was I went to Europe. You know how many bakeries and, and breweries there are in Europe, you know, and then it was Christmas and then it was New Year's and then it was my birthday and then it was Valentine's Day. I started the hard time. Do you know what I mean? It used to be I'll start the easy time. I started the hard time, you know. And somewhere in March, I remember I was out to dinner with my husband, and I was okay not having dessert, but I would have killed for a glass of wine. And I went, shit, you know, I'm my father. And I didn't like it at all. But, you know, I would have never stopped drinking if I hadn't done it just to to, you know, stop eating sugar. So this is my story. I ended up in AA through OA. I ended up in Al-Anon through OA. I ended up in adult children of alcoholics through OA. Because as I let go of the food and the numbness, the feelings would come up and the, the startling revelations that were obvious to everybody else, but, you know, because I was, like, numb and in the cloud of the sugar, I didn't see them. So one of the things for me about getting to be an old-timer is that I went to every program I needed to go to as it came up for me. Because I'm real clear for me, I could not handle all of this in OA, as wonderful as OA is. You know, I couldn't deal with... I couldn't deal with my alcohol in OA. I couldn't deal with my children of alcoholics issues in OA. I couldn't deal with how incredibly codependent I am in OA. You know, I needed to go where other people spoke my language and knew my tricks. That's the thing. In each program, there's different little tricks that we have that if, if we don't know, you know, my daughter keeps telling me she doesn't need to go to Al-Anon because she goes to AA. She's cool. And I said, well, what if somebody in Al-Anon would have told you that they didn't need to go to AA, they could deal with their drinking in Al-Anon? Oh, that's different. Okay, honey. But anyhow, um, so I, that's part of what has gotten me, what, 26, almost 27 years of sobriety and abstinence, you know, and, and having stayed in the program since 83, coming up on, what is this, 32 years. Um, half my life, half my life I've been in this program. It's the best thing. I just, it's amazing. Um, I needed, you know, I worked my program and I, you know, I read the literature and I went, you know, and I prayed and I did everything I knew to do, but I was still crying every day. And I thought, hmm, I must be depressed, you know. And so I made myself go to a therapist because I didn't want to. Because, you know, this was the barber program. <laughs> and and so that was good. And and then I went to a psychiatrist. 
And I did not want to do that either. And I've been on medication for 23 years. I have a problem with my brain. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like if I had a problem with my blood sugar or if I had cancer. You know, I wouldn't deny myself the medication for any of those other illnesses because I thought it was, you know, if I just buck up or whatever, you know. And so I thought, okay, let's try this, you know, and it's been wonderful. You know, my problems are still there, but I'm not trying to deal them like climbing up a mountain with 50-pound boots on. You know, it's still the same journey, but I'm not, you know, I'm not handicapping myself. You know, I'm giving myself a fair a fair try at this, you know. So so that's been wonderful. So I guess what I'm saying is whenever one of the things that's worked for me is whenever I've seen that I needed to do something, I would go kicking and screaming into paradise and do it. You know, it's like go to any lengths thing. You know, and this is the easier, softer way. You know, being in program uh, going to therapy, being on medication, doing the sponsoring, having a sponsor, all the tools, everything. This is as easy as it gets. You know, we can either, in my life, I could either act out with my addictions. I could cram the sugar in my mouth to not feel whatever feeling was right there. And it would take it away for the moment. But I would be living underneath this dull ache that never went away. So it's like it isn't easy or hard. It's hard or hard. It's hard. <laughs> this is the good news and the bad news, you know. It's hard and you and you try to fix it with a substance or, or some process like shopping or gambling, you know. And, and immediately it comes back again. And then there's the shame and guilt and remorse. Thank you. Or, you, you know, you say, I've got I to do this, you know. And come into program and take direction. Um, and see, now I'm going, oh, my God, I have 10 minutes. I just did a whole retreat, a whole weekend retreat on this. <laughs> it's like, give me, give me three and a half days and we'll talk about this. Um, and, okay, the simple things like, really, I had to use the tools. Really. Not just think they were a good idea. I had to use them. I still hate calling people. I hate it. You know, and I very, I honestly very rarely do it. But I have a friend that snuck up on me, and she kind of said to me, well, would it be okay if I called you tomorrow? And after about a week of this, I went, you're very sneaky. And I've been talking to her every day for years. You know, she's my best friend. Because she understood me, and she knew that she just had to go around that. And so, okay. So my surrender was, okay, I'll talk to you. I may not ever call you, or not very much, but we'll talk, and we'll be honest. You know, it's good. Oh, um... Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. You know, I need not only to be honest with myself. That's why the fifth step is so wonderful. It's like, you know, it's like I have to be honest with myself, with God, and another human being. And that is really three different things for me. Because I was not honest with myself. And I thought if I could just, you know, keep God at arm's length, that, see, my previous higher power would have thought that, you know, if I had some kind of a, a failing, that he would give that to me in spades so that I would then learn to work through it, okay? The biggest fear of my life was that something was going to happen to my husband. And so, you know, the old me was going to go, no, I'm not going to let God know that, you know? Well, God knew anyhow. And this is not a cause and effect thing, but my husband died seven years ago, you know? And he was the best man I ever met. And son of a gun, I'm still here. 
and I didn't have to eat or drink or go out and get laid or, you know, like I, I say this quietly, like no one's going to hear me, you know, or, or I, you know, I didn't have to act out. It was the most amazing thing. Now, the other side of that is twice in my 32 years in program, I have gained 35 pounds twice. And it, it was a matter of I needed to shift my food plan and I was a little slow in, in learning about it. I didn't know about carbs. I just knew sugar, you know. I needed to I needed to learn about carbs, you know. And so I learned the hard way by gaining 35 pounds. And no one, not one person in my program life said to me, what's going on, honey? You look like you're gaining some weight. Is there something happening? Are you having, you know, are you having some feelings? Are you struggling? Nobody. People watched me get 35 pounds heavier. And nobody said, hey, baby, what's going on? That hurts me. You know, now when I think about it, because, you know, we're, we're being kind. We're killing each other with kindness. You know, it's like, mm. and there's a way to say it kindly. You know, it's like, wow, are you okay? You know, so twice that happened. The first time I, I shifted my, my program about carbs. And the second time was the five years that my husband was having cancer and going to, you know, treatment and whatever. And, you know, you sit a lot when people are going to chemo and you're going with them, you know, and people don't bring you carrots and celery sticks. They bring you, you know, comfort food, you know, when they know somebody's sick. And, and I, the other thing I noticed about that was I was holding on. I was holding on knowing that, you know what, he was going to be okay because this was Henry we were talking about. This was Henry. He, you know, he was going to be fine. He was going to get through this. And the more I hold on and don't go, okay, God, he used to say to people, don't pray for me to get better. Pray for the best possible outcome. I thought that was the bravest thing I ever heard. And I would say to them, no, no, pray he gets better. <laughs> you know? And he would say, no, no, best possible outcome because God knows better. What's supposed to happen here? You know, and the more I held on, the more the weight stayed, you know. And when I let go emotionally, spiritually, mentally, whatever, the, the weight melts off, you know, because I don't need the protection of trying to do it myself and holding on, you know. It's like, okay, God, here it is. And it just goes, you know, it's, it's a miracle, you know. The man died and left me his dog, his 90-pound dog. And, you know, it made me mad because I never walked the dog. And I started walking the dog. And those 35 pounds came off with no change in my food plan within a year. I hate exercise. I never wanted to do it. I was a huge couch potato. And I surrendered. I surrendered to this gorgeous dog with those big eyes going, now can we go now, you know? And honestly, the dog and me, we did fine. You know, now the dog just died. You know, maybe you guys shouldn't get around me, you know what I mean? Maybe it's catching. But, um, and now what I've had to do is say to my friends, will you walk with me? Because I need to keep this going. Because, you know, if I start sitting on my butt again, the butt's going to show that I'm sitting on it again. And I feel so good when I walk. I can't believe I'm saying this. I was the person that I could never do anything athletic. You know, I was not that girl, you know. And this feels wonderful. And it was because I surrendered to the dog. Well, you know, dog spelled backwards is God. <laughs> just saying. You know, just saying. So um, unconditionally loving dogs and gods. Unconditionally loving. Okay, so what else do I want to say? Um, hmm. 
I always like to plan, and I like to know what's going to happen. I don't know anything. I know nothing. You know, I don't... We had this plan, Henry and me. You know, we knew where we were going to live when we retired. We knew what we were going to do. You know, we were going to do great things. It was going to be this and this and this. And he died at 62. I was 57. You know, lots of people's spouses die a lot younger than that. You know, but it's like I knew what the next 30 years of my life were going to be like. Well, no. You know, and I used to say wherever Henry is, I'm home. Wherever Barbara and God are, I'm home. You know, if I had to lose either God, me, or Henry, I'm so grateful it was Henry. And he would understand that because I can live without him. I can't live without me and God. That's the bottom line. I'm home. Thank you. I, yeah. And um, all I can say is no matter what it takes, it's worth it. Every second of it, it's worth. And... There are huge times that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. My sponsee is the chair of next year's convention. I told her, don't do it. She asked my opinion. I said, why are you out of your mind? (laughs) And she prayed. And God said, yeah, do it. Well, she listened to God and not me. What can I say? (laughs) Smart girl. And then the next day she said to me, will you be the vice chair? And I've been in Al-Anon a long time, but I have slips every day. And I went, oh, sure. (laughs) I don't want to do this. But you know what? Now that I'm here, I'm going, well, yeah, this might be okay. This might be fun, you know. Kicking and screaming all the way to paradise every time. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get past a little bit of that. Maybe I'll stop kicking and screaming and just head, you know, do not pass go, go directly to paradise. You know, I don't know, whatever. But life is moving, and it's wonderful. And I'm done. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Kathy L. I'm a gratefully recovering bulimic and compulsive eater. I'm from Palm Springs. Um, I'm, I don't know why I'm nervous, but I'm thinking that my first meeting that I returned to OA was 1980. I, I'll tell that in a minute. But I remember coming in and... Um, I could hardly stay awake. I was absolutely, I was literally could not keep my eyes open. And I didn't realize then that it had to do with surrender. So I'm guessing that my nervousness is about surrender. And I don't exactly know what that means. So my mouth gets really dry. Sorry. Um, I'm saying right now, God, please give me the right words, the right thoughts, the right actions. Because um, I have a story that feels very scary to me. And so when I'm in front of other people, I'm afraid I'm going to say something about the story that's really more than I should be saying in a group like this. And um, that then I remind myself that I was that person who came in and sat. I had to sit in the back for a long time. I was out. I was absolutely filled with rage and shame. And I couldn't take the risk to share truthfully. When I started in program, I was 17. It was 1965. Program was started about 20 miles from my house. And I had heard about it from a 
older friend of my mother's, and I was already vomiting for three years. Did not know a th- nobody knew. I didn't have anybody to tell. There was no word that I was aware of, and I just thought I was sicker than the rest of the planet. I was taking in shame that belonged to other people in my family, but I was absorbing it. I was sucking it up. And it left me so empty. I was stuffing myself and then getting rid of it. And then I was ravenously hungry. So I was stuffing myself again and getting rid of it. And when I heard about OA, I went to a meeting on Van Nuys, uh, on Victory Boulevard, I think, in Van Nuys. And there were 100 people there. Everybody talked about binging. And gratefully, I could talk about that. But I did not hear a single person say they threw up. And I was not going to be the person who did. I couldn't say it. I, was, I just literally couldn't say it. I thought there was something criminally sick about me. And so it went, I went to lots of other programs. I went to lots of therapy programs and, um, I don't know, all the other ones that, we've, that we have paid for. And married for the third time in 1980, I had finished a, a, working with an amazing therapist, but I knew I couldn't stay because I, I was a drunk drinking and coming to therapy wasn't, it wasn't going to get through. So I wrote him a letter and I said, I thank you for all of the work, but I have got to stop this binging and vomiting all the time. Otherwise I can't, I can't begin to recover. So I'm going to go back to Overeaters Anonymous and God, I was, didn't want to do that. And, um, I went into a room in Reseda at the Reseda office, which I guess has changed now. And a teenager was sitting next to me. And I leaned over. I was 32 at the time. And I said, um, I I whispered to her, I throw up. Is it okay if I say that here? And she whispered back to me. I wish I knew who it was. She said, you can say anything you need to here. So I started saying anything I needed to. And for the last 35 years, I have not stopped. (laughs) For five years, all I pitched was rage, resentment. I was entitled to the resentment because of all the things that had actually happened. Um, I just piled on more and more and more of what so-and-so had done to me. And I had a sponsor, and she, I said, I'm not abstinent. And she said, I don't care. Start step one. And we only had AA material at the time, which I still use all the time. And she said, I said, what do I do? She said, uh, read the big book from cover to cover. And then she said, um, get the AA 12 and 12, read step one and write on every paragraph. And I said, what should I write? And she said, read step one and write on every paragraph. <laughs> well, I, now I was really mad. But when I read the big book, cover to cover, I am dutiful. I'm going to do what you tell me. And I did it. I thought it was the stupidest thing ever written. Not one, not one sentence followed the one before it. I couldn't make <laughs> one bit of sense out of it. I'm glad it's funny because it was funny too that I thought, my God. And today, I can literally, I've seen this people from people in meetings. You go like this. You open the big book. You go, boop. You touch a sentence. Me, I touch a sentence and I read it and I, I feel like, oh my God, I'm so glad I read that. Because every sentence has meaning. I almost stumble over words sometimes when I'm reading out loud because... It matters if it says the or a. I, I read it and I'm trying to hear what I'm reading at the same time I'm reading. And so I stammer and, oh, well, what the heck? It doesn't matter. 
I don't feel embarrassed about it. It's just my trying to make sense of my program. Anyway, so I did my steps, did my writing, read it to her, thought it was ridiculous. What do I do for step two? Same thing. Get up to step four. I'm still not abstinent. And she said, pulled out the big book and we did the how-to, the whole column. That's all I did. And she said, and um, do you know what the seven deadly sins are? And of course, I didn't know them. I'm Jewish. I didn't know what the seven deadly sins were. But she told me, and I took a notebook. And she said, get a notebook that you can't rip the pages out of. And you don't get to cross out. You can, If you make a mistake, you can fix the word. But just keep going. So I had to put a set, one of the seven deadly sins on the top of a page and then flip a few pages of blank and then put another seven of the seven deadly sins. Well, that wasn't enough. I needed a few more notebooks. I had to keep doing it. And I just kept writing. And I wrote and I wrote. And I'd call her up and I'd say, I think I'm done. She'd say, nope. I don't know how she knew I wasn't, but she knew I wasn't. So I said, okay. She said, keep writing. And I wrote about the two marriages. I wrote about a scary marriage where I was still in love with this person. He was brutal to me and I was still in love with him. And recently I have acknowledged that as bad as my father treated me, I was crazy about this man. I loved my father. I still love my father. He's been gone a long time. And I thought there was something wrong with me for loving someone who wasn't good to me. But it's not, it wasn't anything wrong with me. I loved, I was supposed to love my father. I'm sorry he was ill. He was a very sick person. So was my mother. And I love her too. And she's still alive. She's about to turn 91. Anyhow, so I kept writing. And one day I said, I think I said, um, I'm writing things over again. I've, I've realized I've written this part and I'm writing the same thing and nothing new is coming up. I'm still writing. And she said, you're done. And I realized at that point, I had been writing for 18 months. I had notebooks that were this thick. And um, she knew I wasn't done until I was done. And so for me, writing that inventory, and I'm hesitating to say this because it sounds daunting. It wasn't daunting. It was just me writing. She said, write everything that's ever bothered you in your life. Well, huh, me? The people I love bother me. The people I hate bother me. The food I like bothers me. The people I, the, the food I don't like. Every, I said, everything bothers me. And she said, okay, keep writing. So when I got done, she made an appointment with me and we read. I read and I read and I read for 12 hours. And at the end of it, she said, now you're current. Now you have said out loud every single thing that you have ever dealt with. That, and there may be something else that comes up. You'll get to it some other time. But for now, everything I have that I have been ashamed of or – and I said, I said to her, do you think, I've, think I've, I'm finished? And she said, well, when you were one, you did this. When you were two, you did this. When you, I mean, it was, it was so cute. We burned it. And she said, from this point on, you are now current. You'll do steps five, six – well, five. I had just done five. Six, seven, eight, and nine six, seven, and eight. And um, when I get to nine and 10, that's how I'm going to maintain being current. So I still wasn't abstinent. 
And I, there is a part in our OA 12 and 12 that says some of us do our work on our steps. You know, getting abstinence first for lots of people is the, is the best way. Some of us doesn't work that way. And it did not for me. Um, bulimia was very, it was so addictive to me, the food and the actual process. And I was um, pregnant with my first child, nine months pregnant, 1985, and I was going to an appointment, and I had been, I was with another husband that was very brutal, and I was going to the last appointment before the baby was due. He was coming in five more days, and I remember being in the elevator, and I looked, I, I went, hmm, can't remember my last binging and vomiting. And I looked up, I literally went, is it, I said, okay, God, is it possible that I have become abstinent? And that was February 20th, 1985. And I did take a 30-year coin this year for 30 years of abstinence from bulimia. Thank you so much. Uh, that means I've been, I've been abstinent longer than I vomited, which was unbelievable. I remember saying that at the time there was no word. So I remember going to a retreat. There were about 350 people in a, at a Malibu um, a big retreat center. It was beautiful. And I, would, I used to say, hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a compulsive overeater. The whole room says, hi, Kathy. And then, and vomiter. I had to say it. I had to get that word out. It was so secretive. And at that time, the teenagers weren't yet coming out of the woodwork. And so I walked up to this retreat. and There was a microphone that was actually booming. And I said, Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a vomiter and compulsive overeater. The whole room said, hi, Kathy, and the ugly secret was out, and that was it. From that point on, that's all I ever said. I'm Kathy. I'm a vomiter and compulsive overeater. So it became something that was could just be said out loud. Then there was, of course, a word for bulimia, and now we have specialty groups, and I've, I've, been, you know, I've been a speaker on some of those things occasionally. But to recover from bulimia is, it is an amazing miracle. It is really, really sneaky. I did gain about 36 or 37 pounds. So I was, I was I'm only 5'1". I was probably considered fat and still throwing up. Uh, but the secretive part of it made it, you know, really horrific. Okay. So that's pretty much how it was. At that point, once I became abstinent, and I've never, ever broken my, my abstinence not as far as food. I have, I have a, basically a good um, food plan. But occasionally I eat something I wish I hadn't eaten, and I have to deal with that. But the bulimia, no, that's never happened. But I, I'm on the 36-year plan. I do a year, a step every three years. <laughs> so the good part of that is I'm actually really working for the first time really in the last few years, step 12. And I heard... We had this wonderful person in, in the L.A. area. Many people may have known her. And I remember 35 years ago her saying, the, the 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And I remember at that point, it wasn't as a result. It wasn't one possible result. It was the result. For That has resonated with me because today... I am very grateful to say that I don't hold anything back anymore from trusting my higher power. I still have lots of old vestiges of the old life in me. 
I have a lot of shame. It comes up sometimes. Um, But I have a power greater than I. And I sometimes talk to God in the middle of the night. Sometimes there's some tears and I'm, okay, I'm not feeling too great. And sometimes I actually feel the old worthlessness. And I say, is it true? Am I really as bad as I feel? And it might take a little while. Sometimes the tears come for a while and I say, okay, God, I need, I need a little help here. Or sometimes I make a phone call. I text people. I talk on the phone all the time. All, my phone has to be recharged sometimes twice in a day. <laughs> but um, I have a power greater than I where I know I get to say this is how I'm feeling. One of our speakers tonight or this afternoon talk, talked about not being able to feel. I had absolutely no ability to feel. It wasn't tolerated. It wasn't, if I had a feeling, it was shameful to my mother and enraging to my father. So now I'm in a situation where I'm healthier. I have all these people that I can walk up and talk to. And sometimes I'm in a bad place. And I say, okay, the tears are going to come and I'm feeling afraid and there's nothing happening. Oh, well, I get to write about it. And I do. I write and I may read it to three people and I want feedback and I might write again until I get to that place where I'm hearing, this is how you feel, but this is not the truth. This is not the truth. The truth is recovery is here. I am never going away, God willing. Um, The part about the step 12, I did, I was a secretary for the intergroup for four years, 10 years ago. That was a big deal. Uh, from 1999 to 2003, and I thought I was doing this great service because I was doing the gopher stuff. Okay, great. Um, Palm Springs hosted a convention, and you know they asked me to do a few things, and no, can't. I'm not ready to do that. But I can be the secretary, and I was a gopher for a few things. And um, our intergroup was struggling, and two years ago we formed a new intergroup, and I, I was, I didn't want to do it, and a really gentle person said would you be willing to just come and try? And I said, yeah. And the person who led our intergroup has this amazing ability to create a group conscience. Each person is supposed to be heard. And each, the input is, um, we want to hear what you have to say, especially when you feel vulnerable. And I'm the person who can't sit in the chair. If the ag- If the room is getting agitated, my heart is pounding. I think it's my job to fix all, to get it all fixed, and I can't sit. I'm jumping out of my skin. And they all tolerated and said, you know, let's do the serenity prayer. Well, thank God. I, I got teary, and the serenity prayer put me back together again. So they needed a region rep. And I remember going like this. I'd like to do that. Well, I got picked to be region rep, and I went to my first meeting a couple, three years ago, I guess, scared to death because if there's something new for me to do, even though I know it's OA, I know all of you people are there, and if I need help, I'll have to just walk up to you, but I'm still scared. There's this old part of me that still thinks I'm supposed to know ahead of time. Shame is, should have already mastered everything, and that's me. That is that wasn't original. Somebody gave it to us, but um, that that was how I, I was supposed to know how to do it before I got there, and I loved it. I loved how it was how our region handled elections. There was a big mess, and it was real awkward. And every single piece, thank you so much, 
um, got heard and everybody had, and I thought, oh my God, this really is OA. And so the next month we needed a World Service Business Conference delegate and I went like this. Last year I went for the first time. I was scared again. My plane didn't make it the first day. So I got there a day later than I was supposed to. And I'm wheeling everything in, heart pounding. And five people come up and say, oh, you just got here. Oh, let me take you to registration. I mean, it was just amazing. And I was on the bylaws committee. And I didn't know I was volunteered also for reference committee, which is all about the arguments that are happening behind the scenes before they ever get to the delegation. So my heart's pounding. And listened through all the meetings and the very last night I had one thought and it was if we add this one word to the motion I'm going to feel more secure so I'll go like this again and I heard the chair say get your hand up there Kathy (laughs) it was so funny I said well you keep saying this word but it's not in the motion and I'm technophobic and it would be better for me if it were and he said that's important. And yes, we're put, I mean, it was just so cute. I thought, wow, I added a word. <laughs> the matters, a matters and whatever word, I can't remember what it was that I added. That's how our literature is created. Every word is discussed by us. And so for me, service has turned me around into trusting every facet of this program. I am grateful to be here. I thank you for letting me share, and that's all. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I will now draw questions from the Ask It basket. So if, um, yeah. Read them, and if it says a person's name, then you can, or we can have whoever wants to. Okay, if you have had a relapse, what was the last thing you did or didn't, I guess, do before it began? I can. I'll step to the side. Well, you know those those first five years. I don't count myself as I count thank you I'm I'm never too quiet this is funny Um, so the first five years that I was in program I count as as part of my recovery because I learned things then but I don't count those six months on and off as being a relapse because I never really you know got my feet wet and got into it so um, so I just came here to say that I I didn't even though I I didn't have a relapse, and so I don't know how to answer the question, but that those first five years weren't a relapse, and so I'm going to sit down now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I have not had a bulimia relapse, but I can respond to when I'm aware that something is amiss with my food. If I'm aware... that happened a couple of weeks ago. I went to bed and thinking, golly, what the heck? I'm way over. If I don't realize that I'm, when I do realize that I am maybe making poorer choices about my food, for me, that is my higher power making me pay attention. 
and I stop, I, I literally say, whoa, I'm, I am using food to somehow cover something. So out comes the pen, the paper, I write, I may have to write a few days. I get a little cleaner with my food if I can. I don't tell, I tell the truth to someone. I say, I just finished, I, you know, I think the other day I actually said I ate two, two rice. I said to my sponsor, I ate two rice cakes over this big deal. But just knowing it's a, it's a wake up call for me that something is happening inside that I don't want to pay attention to. And I'm, I will eat over just about anything. So I have to really do the writing and read it to somebody. Does that help? Next is Dave. Is Dave still here? No, Dave. Oh, okay. It's a shame. Um, okay, I went to a Malibu retreat 30 years ago. Had to st- to get up at lunch and say our abstinence. Um, mine was not to beat the crap out of myself for a whole day. I guess it's a comment because I don't see a question, which is good. Um, do you ever feel like you'll never recover? If so, what do you do about it? So, or have you, I suppose, along the way? Anybody wants to take that one? Um, I very rarely today have many issues with food. Not very many. My issues are inside of me. And I was, in the big book, There, there's a phrase, there are those among us who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. That is me. And so um, I need to refresh the question just one second. Um, is this the, is that the question? Oh, that you'll never recover. Okay. So for me, my issue about recovery is less today about the food. It's about, I went through a, a period about the last, four or five months ago that lasted three or four months where I was in a tremendous grief. Only nobody had died. I don't know what was going on. Something had triggered and I was in horrible sorrow. And I did have the feeling of, you know, I'm doing things right. I'm showing up at my meetings. I'm telling the truth. So yeah, it's a little scary. I wrote about this a couple days ago. The walking through it that for me has become trusting that if I keep talking, if I keep on my food plan, if I sp- I continue to sponsor, I have sponsor, whatever that pain is, it's, it's still for me, God getting my attention. There is something I'm, maybe I have held on to something that has been taken away. I don't even know now. But for me, it's about what's under the surface. I always feel we eat because, I'll say it for myself, I eat because of what is eating at me. Uh, if I don't face my stuff, I'm going to stuff my face. So for me, that's what it's about. It's not so much about food now, but it definitely is about what is going on. What is my truth? And I'm ashamed of it, so it's hard to, it's hard to face sometimes. I am here. I am recovering. You know, the first step is admitting powerlessness. If I didn't ever have to walk into these rooms, if I could have done it by myself, I would have. And so I would say to whoever the you is that asked that question, you're here. You're here. That's, you know, that's, so stand on that. That's a rock. You know, stand on that rock. I'm here. I'm recovering. 
somebody in the last workshop I was in said that she always says, keep coming back, it's working. I was so happy to hear that because that's what I've been saying too. Because if I say it works, it's like, oh, well, it works out there for somebody else someday. No, right this second, exactly who I am, exactly where I am, exactly what I'm doing, thinking, feeling, it's working. Would each speaker, and that was emphasized here, please share one abstinence and two food plan? I abstain from sugar and alcohol. And my food plan has evolved over the last 32 years. And where it stands right now is I, I eat something pretty much every three to four hours. Otherwise, I get way too hungry. And, and when I sit down to eat a meal, I eat way too much. I get frantic, you know, and that's not worth it to me, you know. And so I, I only keep, you know, healthy food in my house. Um, and I, I eat kind of boring stuff you know i i'm not a cook my husband cooked oh my god so i you know i'm getting a little tired of cottage cheese to tell you the truth but um if i go to a restaurant i'll eat the same thing at the restaurant every time because i know i like it i know it suits me i know if, if i can eat the whole thing or if i should take half home it just takes all that thinking and oh my god how many how often how much out of my off my hands it was like when I got married I didn't have to worry about who else I was going to date you know, it was like whoosh, okay done that piece is done you know so okay um I kind of de- I came into program with nothing but gray sheet and for a 17 year old I was starving to death um so mostly how I describe my food plan is three healthy meals a day with something in between. And I'm very physically active. I do a lot of hiking, so I really do need something that is going to give me energy because I'm very active. And I never travel anywhere. There's always something in my car, in my suitcase. I carry healthy food for me, with me. I even have it here at the hotel, and I ended up having lunch with someone. That's okay, so I might not eat what's there. I can eat. I can have an option, but I plan. I eat almost um, I very, very little animal protein for me. I'm mostly vegetarian. I'm involved with the farmer's markets, and I love to cook. I cook all the time. I, I do eat grains. Some of us are not able to eat grains. Um, is that clear enough? That's, that's pretty much what I do. Thank you. Hey. Okay, Kathy, this is for you. Which sponsee do you like the best? Oh, <laughs> oh golly. Mm. Definitely the one in the room at the moment. <laughs> minutes for the ask it basket portion um if there are any more questions we'll just allow a few minutes in case somebody has any to ask and a reminder by the way that raffle tickets are still being sold you have a question back there oh no 
Yes? Thank you. I did have a relapse. Thank you. When I came back into program in 1980 and had this sponsor, I was white knuckling the bulimia and had a party at my house, including with my sponsor. Only my ex-husband at the my husband at the time created madness in front of the party, and that was enough right there because I was exposed. I just turned everything over and it was so 19 I think it was January of 1982 Super Bowl party right and it took then it took three and a half more years I I because for me for my abstinence um there are times when I might have food that I may I may have to forgive myself that that wasn't a good choice but I'm not sure I can recover from bulimia again and so I pretty much had to it was a horrible relapse. It went on for three and a half years, maybe 12 times in a day. It was just horrible. And I think that helped me remember that I need to turn to something greater than I. I want to say one thing about sponsoring and being a sponsor. There was an amazing workshop this morning, and don't underestimate this. If you haven't tried it out, ask someone who has what you would like to have and ask them what they have done and ask them for help. It's the only, it's, I have to have somebody that I can tell the truth. Be, in, not, nothing that I could possibly do, I mean, even the horrible things, that can be said out loud to another person. That means I get to face myself. So that's probably one of the best things as far as avoiding relapse. Honestly, a huge chunk of it is ego. I am clear that I never want to have to go in front of a group of, of us and say, I relapsed. Honestly, that bottom line, if there's nothing else, that keeps me. That keeps me going, you know? Um, and, you know, I'm an equal opportunity addict, you know? And so if, if, if one thing isn't working, I kind of slide into another and... I have endless opportunities to act out my addiction. And so, it, you know, it, if I'm going to relapse, it'll, it'll go one place or another or another. And every, it's like I have this picture of dominoes and just everything falling apart. And I don't ever want to have to try to come back from that again. You know, and I remember what it was like to be in a room before a holiday and not be able to get enough of that sugar stuff in my mouth to be charming and talk to other people. You know, there was a glass of alcohol in one hand and the food in the other hand, and I would stand by the food table so I didn't have far to go. And if you wanted to talk to me, you had to come over because I didn't want to go far enough away. I remember the darkness of that. And, you know, pitiful and demoralizing decom little comprehensible demoralization. That's it. Yes. That. I remember that. And I don't ever want that again. I'm going to say one more thing about this. If I can remember this thought. Um, the, um, that feeling of the food, that amazing taste and the chewing and the swallowing and all that, there is not one single 
one of those kinds of foods that I don't know what it tastes like and have, I've had that much of my life. The problem is I, if I'm at a gathering or if I'm with people, now my head is spending nothing but time on that. When about 15 years ago, I was sponsoring someone. They were talking about their food issues. And I said, I don't know where this came from, honestly. It has to be God. But I said, if it's a food calling to me, I literally can say, okay, how am I going to feel about myself 10 minutes after I've eaten that? I am going to feel like garbage. And it will probably last a few days. How am I going to feel if I decide not to eat that? Oh, my God, I'm going to feel like I did something for me. And I'm not going to be focused on that square, brown, chocolatey thing. I'm going to be listening to the people in the room. Not eating the food became a gift to me. And I, I really do use that. If, if there's any food calling to me, that is a definite key. Get rid of it doesn't matter what it is. It could be the whole healthiest thing in the world, but if it's calling to me, it has to go because I'm going to be focusing on that instead of on my friends. <laughs> so that's all I had to say about abstinence. Thank you. So we're going to move on now to three-minute shares. Please keep on the topic, which it says the topic is our ongoing journey. <laughs> um, and um, let's see. And stop sharing at the end of three minutes. I will use this. You must sign the tape release form before sharing. And that is, thank you, up front here. So um, just please come up, sign this, print your name, and uh, write today's date. And then you can go ahead and share. And I'll be sitting here to sh to, with the timer. Come on up. Just come on up. You have to just speak into the microphone, even though it doesn't. Good afternoon, family. My name is my name is Z, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Z. Hi. and I wanted to thank you, um, Kathy, is it, and Barbara, for your your lovely shares. And um, I was a little bit I was a little bit late, but um, I this this was really important for me to come to this workshop because um, there there's things are going to happen in my life, and I can't take that first compulsive bite because I've done everything you possibly can imagine to maintain my weight, you know, including um, bulimia, anorexia, exercise bulimia, you know, you name it. And so, um, so it is a life or death thing. But I, I am a compulsive overeater. I'm the, I'm the hardcore, the real thing. And I'm just a bite away from being 298 pounds. That was my heaviest. And I'm 5'3". And so what is really what I, what I think about and what, what helps me um, is, and I, I have relapsed in, in program. Um, it, and I've lost 100 pounds in program and gained it back. Um, is the physical pain of being so heavy and, you know, having incontinence that, 
you know, 28 years old and, you know, not being able to fit in seats and being stuck. I mean, it's, it's just very, the isolation and, um, but, uh, things are happening in my, in my family. For example, my, my grandmother has Alzheimer's. Some of you know, um, because I, I used to, to live here and we're all working together to keep her in her home, but she's bed bound now. So when that, when the time comes, you know, I need to stay in for today, just for today. Thank you. But when the time comes, I cannot go to my ecstasy foods. And so I just thank you, Barbara, for sharing about your sweetheart, you know, and, and I just, I said, thank you, God, because that's what I needed to hear because I love my grandmother so much. I, I'm named after her. My name is Zephel and she is wonderful. But when I committed to taking care of her in 2009 for a year, I cannot tell you how much the Alzheimer has just has taken her. It is absolutely um, uh, amazing. But she's supposed to still be here, you know, and she's happy. And I'm so grateful that I get to go to her home in Spring Valley and she's got a beautiful view. And my grandpa worked hard and took care of her. And I'm just so blessed to be able to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, I need to claim my seat. My name is Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I just want to say thank you both. It was a real pleasure hearing you. Um, I came to this convention because um, I'm experiencing what I think some people in the program experience uh, who you lose weight and it's great and you lose weight and it's great and you lose weight and it's great and then you don't want to keep lose you want to keep losing weight and it stops being so great and um i just got diagnosed with osteoporosis and uh i and it gotten worse from the last time i was diagnosed with it they said it's worse you know and you're going to need medication and the reason why i'm talking about this is because for the first time in my life, I'm having to gain weight under control. Now, I know how to gain weight. I've put on 16 pounds in six days and gone from 98 to 200 in less than three months in this program. I know how to gain weight. What I don't know how to do is gain it slowly, abstinently. And so I am daily turning in my food. I am working with a doctor and with, you know, other people. And, um, and it's, and anytime anybody says to me, you know, it's like, I feel like this is a hologram (laughs) on the inside. When someone says, Oh, you're petite. I always look around like, who are you talking to? You don't understand. (laughs) I'm not petite. I'm a miracle. (laughs) Okay. That's what this is. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's here. Um, thank you to everybody for sharing. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is I don't know what I need. So I've been turning all the workshops over to God and just saying, okay, put me where I'm supposed to be. And uh, so far I've been in the right place. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My buddy here from the Bay Area. My name is Ella. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Ella. Um, 
So I guess I qualify as a long-timer. I came in in 1982, and um, what do I want to say? Part of being a long-timer is I'm 73, and it's not terribly fun to be in this body right now and that there's um, some physical challenges that I didn't expect to have. I don't like them, and I don't get to eat over them. And that's not really the problem about getting to eat or not eat over them, because I don't know, I'm not immune to a relapse. You know, sometimes I wish, well, why don't you just give me a terminal diagnosis and then I can try some of the ice cream flavors I haven't had for the past 20 years. But um, it's hard for me to say this because I there's fear involved. And... Um, and, you know, that there's people who told – I mean, someone else told me the other day that Ram Dass had had a stroke and he was still meditating in a wheelchair. And I said, well, that's fine. That's very nice. Please don't expect me to be Ram Dass. Um, and um, I just know that what's important for me is to be here in this workshop with all of you, and I've already heard so many things that have been really helpful and eye-opening and to be grateful, and, you know, we're always powerless over something. I'm always working the steps over something, and a lot is my resistance to doing all the physical work that would be recommended, and always thinking that if I did more, everything would be better. Um, I don't know that, but I do know that um, it's important for me to take the steps on my physical situation no matter what it is and that just because I'm not overeating today doesn't mean I'm a spiritual giant and that I have it all worked out and that, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't. And um, it just means for some reason that's not something, that's not where my character defects are showing up today in the food. But, but you know, they're still here. And I said, maybe that's not the hopeful thing to say, that after you've been around and been abstinent for this long, you still have a lot of work to do. But I guess that's what it means by it's an ongoing journey. And um, I, I know I don't have to do this by myself. Thanks. Share before we close. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I just really wanted to get up here too, also, and claim my seat. Um, I really appreciate the um, the speakers. I I came into OA 1979, and um, I had um, started overeating in high school. And I uh, had started gaining a lot of weight, and just like you know, you were saying, I thought I was just the sickest person in the world. And um, I wrote to Dear Abby, and she sent me this little note that's, that wrote back and said, Try OA, dear. And I still have it. It's a little, little note she sent to me. 
So I went to meetings in um, Los Angeles, and it was about 1979, and um, I really met a lovely lady there who handed me the gray sheet and said, this is what we do. And um, I, you know, weighed and measured my food and, and lost all that weight. And, um, and uh, that, was, that was my first experience, you know, with OA. And, uh, you know, over the years, obviously I haven't, you know, been able to maintain that, um, that uh, concept of abstinence. And what I have um, kind of come to... And um, over the years, I've looked at, you know, a lot of the other food group programs, anonymous programs. I've gone to some of the other ones. And uh, I just can't be in any program that says it's my way or the highway, you know. I, I feel like I love OA because it embraces everybody. And I can go to a meeting and say, you know, I go through times where I weigh and measure my food because it just feels good and I like that freedom. But then I'll also have periods of times where I'm not willing to, and that's good, too. And, um, you know, I can abstain from sugar. But like you said, if I eat sugar, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, what I have to abstain to is perfectionism, you know, and um, the all or nothing mentality, you know, like, oh, I had a piece of this, so now I might as well have the whole bakery, you know. So um, I'm really learning to abstain from perfectionism and um, embracing everybody um and it's funny because i go to i still go to another meeting another um 12-step group because i really love a lot of the people in there but um i also know that um a lot of the things that they say there i don't feel it's really resonates with me and my soul just because it's so much of the our way or the highway and you know no sharing unless you have this much absence and a lot of stuff like that but um i want to embrace it all and my vision is i hope it all comes all together, you know, in one big 12-step program that we can all just recover from food addiction. And I love your definitions of abstinence. And, um, you know, um, I have my own, and it just has changed a lot over the last 35 years, however many, how long it's been, you know. And uh, today wasn't perfect, but I can say I'm absent today. So thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> So thank you, everyone. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers. Well, Dave's gone. He's left, but Barbara and Kathy as well. Everyone who shared and all who have done service for this session and um, also for uh, those of you who also asked questions. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise. And I don't sometimes there are copies of it, but I don't think there is one here. You see it? Oh, okay. It's, oh, there we go. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I guess that's it.